I am really honoured to be here today to introduce Stephen, The Murder That Changed a Nation, uh, a new three-part series for BBC One. As you all know, 25 years ago, on the 22nd of April, Stephen Lawrence was murdered at a bus stop by a group of white youths in an unprovoked, racially motivated attack. This powerful three-part documentary, directed by James Rogan and executive produced by Oscar-winning filmmakers Asif Kapadia and James Gay-Reese, follows the twists and turns of the Stephen Lawrence case across these 25 years and captures the definitive account of a loving family and grieving parents who took up the fight for justice for their murdered son and forced the establishment to change. The Lawrence case has been a transformative event which has had a huge impact on the whole nation and has become a seminal moment in UK race relations and British justice. justice. It's an incredibly important moment in time and in the history of the nation and we're really proud to bring this landmark series to BBC One. When we were approached to make this series, we knew we would be faced with a complicated and ambitious task, but we felt it was a hugely important story that we just had to tell. Of course, there is a long list of people to thank, um, too many of them to mention here. But in particular, Stephen's mother, Doreen, his father, Neville, and his friend, Duane, all the contributors who've given their accounts, and of course, the fantastic production team on the corner who really have worked tirelessly over the last few months. And a big thank you to Claire Sillery and Danny Horan from the BBC from commissioning. Today you'll be watching the first episode um, and then there's going to be a panel discussion chaired by broadcaster and journalist Gary Young, um, which will follow. Uh, Stephen's father, Dr. Neville Lawrence, uh, director James Rogan, executive producer Asif Kapadia, and producer Victoria Musquin will answer your questions. Um, as this is a preview screening for BAFTA, we'd really ask that you kindly refrain from posting content from the film and the panel discussion on any social media or other platforms. Please do honour this, that would be great. Um, the series goes out next week. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to have a discussion with the panel for about the first 20, 25 minutes and then open it up for the last 15 to the audience. And I want to start right at the very beginning where you have Doreen being made up and she's saying, I'm not coming out filming with you. Like, you know, do your best now. And you get this sense of someone who has been videoed and videoed and talked and talked. Um, and we're now more than 20 years on, maybe 25 years on. And the same would have been true for you, Neville. Uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm wondering, um, was there any trepidation for you in agreeing to do this uh, to take part with uh, uh, with this, and for the documentary makers, James, Victoria, Asif, what did you think you could add to a story that had been covered so much? Well, you you're saying that the story had been covered so much. 
but whether or not it was covered so much doesn't matter. Um, from the very beginning, I had set out to do certain things. And I'm one of these people who don't take no for an answer. If I feel that I'm right. And if you can remember, it took a long time before we had any kind of justice. If I had given up, that would not happen. And so in my, my belief in the system that if, if you're right, and far as my family is concerned, we were right, the way we were treated in the early days had stopped. This uh, murder being solved earlier on, and maybe some of the things that happened because it took so long would have happened. Okay, and so you thought taking part in the film was a continuation of that campaign, maybe? Well, maybe you didn't listen to what I just said. We've had some justice, but I'm now wanting total justice. Do you understand what I mean? I do. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with regards to that, that moment with Doreen, I mean, it's, it's always intimidating when you're just about to start an interview and the interviewee says, I don't want to film with you. <laughs> um, and I think that there was a very strong, there was, a, I mean, there, there's been amazing books, there's been amazing films, there's been some really interesting uh, investigative documentaries, there's been a huge amount of material, um, but when I when I looked at it all, what what there hadn't been was a kind was was something where it was just the words of the people involved, telling telling their stories, and and so we spent a long time prepping to kind of talk through the entire story, and thought that the the the, the what we were aiming for was not necessarily to define the story, but to but but to capture the human experience that had been at the center of a story that, that everybody knew very well. Um, and, um, and I think uh, Neville and, and Doreen and, 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 and Dwayne, you know, as, as we started to talk, once they realized that the questions weren't about trying to get to some specific answer, but rather get them to talk through the experience in their own terms, I think that that, that encouraged them to open up in a way that I'm not, not sure that you've, you've done. I mean, I don't know no, whether you... Nobody has ever um, managed to make us talk in the way we did to you because we saw it from a different point of view that people still didn't know the depths of the story from the coverage that it had before. Um, and Victoria, what challenges were there? You're getting everybody's account in the storytelling when people's accounts differ, maybe sometimes dramatically even. I think that's probably a James question, as he was the one that spent many months in the edit trying to sort of wrangle that all into a timeline. Um, that, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one for James to answer. <laughs> well, uh, uh, it, I mean, it... it it wasn't that people necessarily disagreed on what happened, there, but there was a sense of who, who was doing exactly what, when. I mean, I think that there's a, um, 
I mean, it's a, it's a very complex story. And every time you think you've got a handle on it, some new information comes out that makes you realize that there's, there's even more to, to understand. And so in, in, in that respect, you know, what, what, we would, what we were trying to do is to, to if, if, you, if you took everybody's testimony, you tried to get to all the people who are making the decisions at the time that you could see had an impact either on the campaign or on the investigation, and then, and then work them together, you, be, you began to get a sense of what happened in, in human terms. I mean, it's, it's very difficult with something like this to kind of get to kind of any sort of objective truth, but you get that feeling of what the people were thinking as they were doing different things, including the police, including the activists. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure that fully answers the question. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Victoria, what, in, in terms of the series, what, what did you think you were bringing, bringing to this? Um, so my background is making films about justice, about police corruption. Um, and the last series that I worked on, I made a film about a relatively similar case in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, which was for the BBC. And that was a group of white teenagers that would go out and try and find black victims. Um, and so when I was asked to come and develop this series and then ultimately series produce it, I... Um, I thought I'd come to it with some some sort of knowledge of that of that sort of topic, and I, and I definitely have it in a sort of legal and editorial policy sense. Um, but I was just incredibly surprised by uh, how how shocking this case became. Um, you know, when I was working in Jackson, Mississippi, there's a sort of expectation for those sorts of events to happen there. But I grew up in London, and you don't expect that to happen here. So, it, you know, it started as something that I thought I would be able to do well, because I've made films like this before. I've done a lot of stuff with the police. I've done a lot of stuff about legal cases, and I've worked with a lot of families that have experienced this type of grief, not this sort of type of injustice. But, you know, I, I found myself quite overwhelmed by it in a way that I wasn't actually expecting to. Right. So, um, for me, it's, it's been kind of something new because um, my partner, James Gay Reese, who produced um, films that I have directed in the past, Senna and Amy, so we come from a film background. So for us, this was a new process in a way of moving into making kind of television and doing what we've done previously in Docs, but as a producer. So I'm, I've, normally I'd be you know, in the middle doing every single interview, and in this case, I was slightly further back. So I have different perspectives. One is the idea of having made the films that we've made, and we've been lucky enough that it's been successful to feel like, well, maybe there is a way to bring this story back and say, have an overview and see it in hindsight and see you know, it from the point of view of the family, from Dwayne, from the victims of this crime and what happened to them. And so, I mean, just seeing part one, you know, and we're still at the stage we're going, you know, how many days after Stephen's murder? This many days, this many weeks, this many months. And as you watch part two, part three, it becomes years and decades of just wanting justice, just wanting to know what happened and why have people not been prosecuted. So that was the purpose of what we were doing, was to find a way to do this story, you know, find the right team to work with, find a way to get the biggest audience for it. Um, and... and we got a great team together, and then our job was to kind of give them the tools to let them do their job and to just 
it's shocking when you watch it, when you understand what's gone on and what's happened over such a long period of time. And I think that was, that was it. If we, we got to a certain stage where we could get this put together and get it done with the BBC and get it on prime time, 9 o'clock, and get as many people, hopefully, to see it. And then as often happens when you make a piece of work, things start happening, events happen in, in the world now, which seem to make the film relevant in a different way. Um, just in the last few weeks, and what's been going on this year, and then you realize, well, you just, you just watch the story, and you understand, hopefully, what happened to the family, and then you just think, well, that's, this is the story of one person who died, and how many people have died, and how many people didn't necessarily have that fight to keep going for 25 years to try to get justice. Um, so that was the idea. That was the idea to just kind of bring this story out there and to look at it again. And I'm of that generation of, you know, kids from Hackney growing up, same sort of things that are being said. I never went to South East London. There were estates I would never go near um, because you were just told that's out of bounds. Don't go there. You know, so-and-so got beaten up or stabbed. And so there's an element of also remembering this story when I was young and, and you know, not trusting the police in Hackney and Stoke Newington because you were you knew they were kind of corrupt and they were going to... And actually, they were corrupting Stoke Newington when I was growing up, which was kind of proven to be. So there was a lot in the story that I remember. And then you get to a stage where you're able to be a producer to get this out there and get it made. So I think that was all coming together for me. Given um, the number of people who have been killed and the number of racist attacks that there have been, I'm wondering why you think Stephen's murder became totemic in the way that it did. Um, there was Roland Adams is, is talked about in the film, or, or um, uh, Rohit Dougal, uh, there, and there have been others since. What was it about Stephen's death, do you think? In my mind, I think it's the way we went about doing what we did. We wanted to make sure that we use the law. And if you can remember most of the other murders, there were marches and all kind of demonstration. And my aim was to make sure that we weren't drawn into that kind of situation where people would go out in the street and smash up windows and turn over cars. And if, if, I think, I, I don't, I'm not certain if we were the first family ever to employ a, a solicitor from the, the off. And the reason why that happened is that, I explain it this way. When doctors are talking to each other, they're talking a different term from local people. When the, the lawyers are talking, they're talking a different way. If the police are talking, they're talking in a different way. I wanted to be able to understand when they talk, talk to me what they were actually saying. Right. So by having a, a lawyer, I'd sit there, listen to what they were saying, and then he would analyze it and explain it to the family so we know exactly what, what we had to do next. Hmm. So that was the first. Right. And it surprised everybody. And the other thing is that I used to work with a lot of lawyers and barristers and things in my job. And I think after I did that, did that first appeal for, for witnesses, I sat that night and I watched the, the program that went out for witnesses just shrink. 
every time it came over, less was said. And so I was worried because I'm saying people who was at work in the early part of the evening, when they came home in the evening or in the night to see the news, if you reduce it, they wouldn't see some of the things that they needed to see. Mm. So I then started to call my friends. And they said to me, get yourself a lawyer. So I did. Um, is, does anybody else have any sense of, of your views on why, what it was about this murder? What was different? I would have my opinion, which is that as, as you watch it, you realise that it's always been somehow the image and the media play a part in the story in various ways. So, you know, newspapers and television and the BBC itself is, becomes a part of the story and, you know, the Daily Mail becomes a part of the story. So there's something about the fact that Paul Greengrass then does a show and they, they continue to happen. Mm. And I think uh, James and the team kind of use these elements to kind of, because then you can visualise it. You realise there was always something. He was always in the air that this story affected people, but nothing seemed to be happening. And so I think that's what I would say was part of the reason why it could be done as a series, because there was actually material that you could then show, and police were being interviewed constantly, weren't they? So there was actually, you could see these characters all the way through, and how they spoke then, and you realize how dated some of these conversations the police have, particularly as you go into F2 and 3, you'll realize. <laughs> This is how they thought this was the norm. This is how you deal with you know, the death of a black kid. This is how you, the language you use. Um, but again, James could go more into detail, but that always felt the reason why it could be possible. I mean, I think it was, a, it was in many senses a perfect storm. I mean, the, the, the activists, I think Mark Wadsworth's here, actually, yeah. in the back. Mark Wadsworth, and the, you know, like the combination of the activists, um, Imran and his experience, Neville and Doreen were, uh, you know, were, were a remarkable couple, you know, and, and they had sort of complementary sort of skills and approaches, and and there had been these murders before, and and so there was a sense that I think, uh, from the activist point of view, I think that they had sort of they'd kind of had some practice at trying to figure out what to, you know what to do, and how to and how to um, address this, but even with all that kind of perfect storm element of it. It took kind of external interventions like Mandela, um, Jack Straw, you know, sort of Theresa May, you know, that kind of kept bubbling it along, but they kind of created an appeal that brought people in to associate themselves with it. Every, everybody who kind of interfaced with the, the Lawrence campaign in one way or another, there were lots of little things that were done that add up to a kind of quite a big, um, big picture, and just not stopping. And I think, I mean, I think you know, Doreen is very much at the heart of that, and Neville, Neville too. But just not, just not stopping, not taking no for an answer. Which I guess we know now. So, sorry, Victoria. I think Doreen actually said in an interview, and I don't think it's made it into the series, but she said the difference, the reason why Stephen became the sort of poster um, child of of this issue is, is because she, uh, Stephen had her and Neville, and I think that fundamentally, at its core, Neville and Doreen were just not prepared to give up until they did get justice for their son. Okay. Um, uh, the last question, I think, um, before I take it to the audience, is the news of the last 24 or 36 hours, which is, uh, as I understand it, the police saying, you said you were going for total justice, and that's um, why 
you would um, um, be involved in a in a uh, production like this. And that in the last 24, 36 hours, the police have said there are no new leads. That sounds like they're closing the case. That's what it sounds like. And when they say there's no new leads, I don't know what the technical term for that is. But um, um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you what your what your view is on that and where you want things to go from here. Well, we, we just sat and watched part one of this. My view is that in, it took so long for the first two people to be convicted. Now, after 25 years, which will be coming up soon, there's more than, I think, more than one or two people in, living in that area that knows actually something that could be very useful. In the early days, these people felt threatened by the fact that one of these, the gang father was very, very influential and powerful in the area. That's no longer applies. And I'm hoping and I'm wishing that somebody who knows more than they've said in the early days by watching some of these, these um, programs that's going to be putting out will say to themselves, well, now I can go to the police and tell them what I know. Um, I think it was Asif who said, while you're doing this, it might have been you, James, while you're doing this, things are still going on and you're kind of, you know, you're, it's, uh, it's historical, but it is also contemporary. Will the news of the last 36 or 48 hours, will that make it into the final... Um, uh, a bit of the film. Am I giving you a headache? By no, 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 no. Well, no. We just, you know, we, you know, the films are. I mean, I came from the edit, like the, 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 the <laughs> So, I mean, this is definitely sort of up to the wire. And yes, the films are reactive to the, um, to, 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 to things that are happening. I mean, you know, in terms of the news of the last uh, about the, the police investigation. I mean. Um, yeah, I'm gonna watch the space. I guess. I mean, I'm, I I think that um, where see where the final episode ends is in the present day. But but the last big events that happened on in terms of the investigation, you know, happened a couple of years ago now. So um, you know that there has been a sense that there's been there hasn't been huge steps forward in the last in the last few years. But there is a lot going on. So so I, I think the thing with the the Lawrence case, as a lot of the journalists said when I interviewed them, was, you know, never, never say never. I just think also it's interesting, the timing of all of this, because what you'll find as you watch it, it's, there's politics always at play, institutions and kind of revelations and layers and layers being unraveled and unraveled. And so um, that is part of the narrative in a way, where, where you think you know everything and then you realise there's another layer and another layer and another layer. And I suppose that news in the timing of it is kind of interesting. Um, so I'm going to take this opportunity to open uh, this up to the audience. If you have questions uh, for people on the panel, can you, um, if you're a member of the press, can you say, because it's not a, um, uh, this isn't a press event and it would be good to know. Um, um, uh, but otherwise, um, uh, feel free, <laughs> raise your hand, there's 
people on either side. Hello. Um, I was really, really moved, and I guess, like, I've heard this story so many times, but to actually see, see it like this, it's really touched, touched me, and I just wanted to say that first. Um, and I'm sorry to ask this, I suppose, but what happens if you don't get justice for Stephen in the way that you, you would like? I guess it's just thinking about 25 years and how long that feels and, and whether that's even something that you allow yourself to think and what you would do in that case. Uh, that question is to me. Yeah. <laughs> you maybe wasn't listening to what I just said earlier, or did you? <laughs> That's you and me, Beth. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go back to what I said. A lot of people said to me all the time, why are you so determined? And I'll give you a little hint why I'm so determined. I, I talked about this today. Number one, I'm a Jamaican. <laughs> Number two, my grandmother was a Jew. Number three, my grandfather was a Maroon. And number four, I'm an African. <laughs> Don't need to go any further. <laughs> yeah, I just had a. I, thank you very much. I thought it was a remarkable film. I'm really looking forward to watching the next two episodes. Um, it was just a simple question about how did the Dacre stuff come out with Neville? I didn't know that layer of the story. I didn't know until it suddenly emerged, and I just wondered how you managed to coax that part of the story out because to me it was a revelation, and it sort of explained a lot about the way the Daily Mail seemed to do a bit of a U-turn on the way they covered. The story, maybe. You didn't understand the Dacre Oh, bit. sorry. Yeah, the, the fact that you knew Paul Dacre, I'd, I'd never heard all that stuff until um, the film. Okay, right. Um, in my past working life, I was a plasterer decorator, and I used to do a lot of work in Islington. Um, there was an individual woman called Mrs. Lapinew, and I, the first time I met Mrs. Lapinew, I went to give her a quote for a job. And uh, after I gave her the quote for the job, I waited a few weeks and heard nothing. And she got somebody else to do the job that I was supposed to do. And they, they, did, they made a hash of the job. And, she, and the husband called me back. I went back and I said to her, I gave you a quote. Um, you gave it to somebody, so why did you give it to somebody else? And she said that the quote I gave her was so low that she thought I couldn't do the job. <laughs> anyway, I said to her, the quote I gave in the first place, if I do the job, it was going to cost you a bit more. So she said, that's fine. So I did the job, and she was so pleased about the job that I'd done. She started calling her neighbors in and showing them the work I'd done. Fortunately for me, 
Paul Dacre just bought a house further down the road from where she lived. And he came as well and looked at the job. And a few days later, he called me in to look at his job. Now, my children used to see me go out every morning, clean, come back clean. They've never seen what I used to do. So when I finish a job, I used to just take them and say, well, this is what I do when you're at school. Fortunately for me, one evening when I took all three of my kids to Mr. Dacre's house, he was there. So he met, he met my kids. A few months later or so, um, they were doing a film or a documentary about it. And they wanted um, Paul Dacre to be a part of it. And he refused. So they then got hold of me to talk about Mr. Dacre, what kind of person he was, what does he do? Because I used to see him every morning before he goes to work. Because I used to have a conversation with my, the people I'm working with to see which, um, if I'm doing anything, if they wanted anything to change. So I used to have that kind of conversation with him. So he knew Stephen, he knew my other two children. And he was surprised at the, the fact that I was calling him up on the the day after that article went into the paper. And it, it had worked out okay for me as well because over all the interviews and papers, things and things that went on, and the time when it came, when we made the decision to take Stephen's body to Jamaica, the Daily Mail was the only person who contributed to the, the money that we needed to send Stephen's to Jamaica. I don't know if it's worth so, saying yeah. how, how this is part one, so there, is, there are layers that are yet to be revealed. There's more. I mean, it, it's been reported b b before, I mean, but I think that's Brian Cathcart. He wrote a very good book about the case in the late 90s, and he had, he had told that, that story in it. I, I think for us, um, we were... We were um, you know, it was a great um, it was a great opportunity to, um, to, um, to to get to get Neville to tell tell it, and then to persuade Paul Dacre to tell his side of it as well. And um, it was it is an important part of the narrative, and and one of many occurrences in the narrative. And it, the, these occurrences happen in nets two and three as well. So do tune in for them, um, where things. Things just happened yeah. that weren't necessarily expected. There were connections that, that weren't necessarily um, understood. I mean, Neville Neville decorated, uh, well, plastered Paul Dacre's house. Um, Paul Dacre went to university with Jack Straw. He was the head of the newspaper, and Jack Straw was head of the student union. So there was a kind of a connection, and Jack Straw did the um, um, the inquiry, the public inquiry into into Stephen's death. So there are there there are lots of little connections that that crop up in 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 the story, you know, like that, and um, and and sort of just quietly, you know, sort of influence or or or, or shape events. Maybe not always directly, but but there's a kind of a context or, of relationships, you know, that, that that create that make the story happen. And the same the same is true on the. Um, it, you know, if you look at the, the, the policing, that everybody knew each other in the policing as well. So there, there are lots of little sort of connections. 
Was it difficult to get Paul Baker? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's with all with all the contributors, it was it was it was challenging. I mean, I think everybody asked the same question you asked of like, why? why you know, why do it, and what are you doing it for, and you know, what's going to be different, and and that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, I mean, I I think it was. It, it, it was it, it was it was always challenging to have those conversations and and my approach was very simple which was just that just just tell me what you know your version of what happened and and we will try and you know kind of include include that in the story and I think that people I think people responded to the fact that we were relative you know we were sincere and we knew what we, we tried to know what we were talking about. Um, one more question. Thank you. Paul Reed, um, Black Cultural Archives. Hi, everyone. Hi, Neville. Hi, it's hi. lovely to see you again. Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the things that I've been thinking throughout much of, of the evening is the title. Um, you know, Stephen, the, the murder that changed a nation. And Clearly, we can still feel your, your passion and, and, and everything there, Neville. And there is no question that you know we were we were shaken and stirred, moved, shattered, traumatized. Um, and the documentary, just this first part alone, has probably for many people, but certainly for me, has brought so much of that back. But I wondered. Um, I'm interested in this word "changed" um, as opposed to traumatized. <laughs> Um, do you think it changed the country? Do you think it traumatised the country? I think, I would say both. both, both. Yeah. Traumatised and changed because in the, in, in the early days um, when somebody felt that they were being racially um, put upon by somebody and you mentioned it, people was questioning you whether or not it was. And I, I've said this today. If you have a problem and you can't talk about it, there's no way you're going to solve it. Now, there's loads of organizations who's looking into racial motivated case and road, 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 um, behavior of people. Um, there, there's been lots of people who've um, successfully started up business because of what has happened to Stephen. Stephen's name is now known all over the world. Uh, I'm, I, I'm saying this as Stephen's father. And some of the benefit that's come out from Stephen's death, it has taken me a long time to accept that. But at the same time, even all that has happened and lots of good things has happened, I would rather to have Stephen sitting right there beside me. But at the same time, I, 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 I made this statement. Why do we have to wait for a tragedy when we know there is something wrong and don't try and fix it? That's the question I, I die to ask. And Stephen, the tragedy of Stephen has opened so many doors. And, it's, and we're saying it's coming up to 25 years. And I'm just starting to accept that my son 
was sent here for a special reason. Thank you, Lauren. I want to thank uh, uh, Neville and James and Victoria and Asif, um, particularly for me, because while I know I always knew how Stephen died, what this first thing did for me was teach me about how he lived and what you've lost, why you would want him here, and some sense of who he might be and where uh, um, he came from, which to me is one of the major powers, certainly of the um, of that first um, episode. Um, I want to thank you all. I want to uh, thank the audience and uh, uh, and BAFTA, um, and um, get home safely. Thank you. Seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. It plays Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You have to keep watching because you're, I'm hoping when you see the show, your question will be answered mm -hmm. in terms of how it changed the nation. Because there are lots of things that you may know and lots of things you've forgotten. But this story, when you put it all together, you know there is, as his cousin says, there's before and there's after. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah.